thanks to all the doctors, competition organizers, and DJs who came together to make this episode possible. Without you, we wouldn't really be able to understand the true impacts of COVID-19. First up, the doctors. Sure, I'm Samit Jindal. I am in my last year of ophthalmology residency in Virginia, and I have um, danced with uh, KPGD, FCB, and uh, hopefully my Punga career isn't over yet. Hey, I'm uh, Sean Gupta. I'm a first year internal medicine resident in New Jersey, and I danced with CMU Pungra and FCB. Hey, uh, my name is Ajay Kanakamadala. I'm a third year orthopedic surgery resident at NYU. Uh, I danced with Washu Bhangra and FCB, and I can also be seen dancing on the, in the East Village local and uh, Lower East Side at local bars. <laughs> All right, so um, you know the big reason we pulled everyone together to have this conversation is currently the Bhangra circuit, and actually a lot of competitive dance circuits and professional leagues are getting impacted by COVID. Um, you know, there's been a lot of questions specifically around is the Bungana season going to happen? And if it does happen and what shape or form is it going to take place in? Um, you know, one of the big things that I think a lot of people have a lot of questions around and are very uncertain about is, um, you know, what specifically is COVID-19? Yeah. Um, so the thing is, is, it's a tough question to actually answer, to be honest, because there's still so much we don't know about it. Um, but COVID-19 is a respiratory virus. Um, I think we all know by now it, uh, originated in, in China. Um, but you know, it's a, it's a virus that's actually been a around for a long time. It just didn't receive a ton of attention because it's, it was pretty rare to get. Um, and you know, you hear about all the, the typical symptoms of, you know, loss of taste, loss of smell congestion, sore throat, fevers, headaches, uh, coughing. Um, these are like the, the typical symptoms of COVID-19, which really doesn't differentiate it that much from other respiratory viruses, uh, like, you know, even like the common cold or the flu. I think the big thing that differentiates it is the fact that we don't have any good treatment for it and we don't have any a vaccine for it. So that makes it much more infectious at this point. That's, in my opinion, the biggest difference is just the lack of vaccine and lack of treatment, lack of studies that show that, you know, treatment X, Y, and Z works. Until we get that, COVID-19 is still going to be a pretty big deal relative to some of the more common things that we see seasonally. Yeah, and, and Samit and Ajay, I know you guys have been working uh, with COVID patients uh, directly or indirectly, when you get COVID, what happens to your body? So uh, I think one of the big distinguishing things that's made COVID maybe more of an issue in terms of transmission is the fact that it's incubation period. Um, it varies in anywhere from you know two to ten days, but on on average, it's supposed to be around five days, and that's longer than other things like the flu and the common cold. And that's the issues right now is we're realizing that a lot of people can be asymptomatic spreaders of it, and so it makes it much harder to contain it. That's one thing that kind of really distinguishes it from you know things like the flu and the cold uh, that made it a bigger issue. In terms of other symptoms that have, have made it an issue, one thing that we're I think we're realizing is that it actually it's more of a it affects your lower respiratory tract, meaning your lungs more so than um, things like the common cold, which we consider more like upper respiratory. Um, 
you know, issues and viruses. And that's uh, another issue with COVID is that it's causing more lower respiratory symptoms, things like pneumonia um, that have proven uh, tougher to treat. In, in addition to what you mentioned, um, cough, everything that Sean mentioned uh, is, I'd say, pretty much, you know, the main symptoms. But in its most severe form, it can cause respiratory failure. Is, uh, it, Sumit, is, is COVID necessarily the the issue itself, or is it more so like what comes after it? There's a lot of stories about how like COVID is not necessarily, you know, as different as the flu, but it's also, you know, in some cases it's, it's deadly, but, and also it is, uh, it weakens the immune system to a point where other things that happen to the body, um, you know, cause you to potentially have uh, fatal consequences. Is is that, is that the best way of thinking about it? Or Yeah. I mean, I think what, a lot of the studying is going into seeing what like the lasting effects of it are and i think that's another thing that makes it unique from say the cold or uh, most strains of the flu is that you're you're not seeing uh, down the road effects from it or long-term effects damaged onto your lungs from it or kidneys and other parts of your body and it looks like for some reason or another covid uh, might be starting some sort of an inflammatory response and like a prolonged autoimmune kind of response that's leading to scarring um in your lungs and uh but whether that's because you know it's something that's tough to recognize early on and treat early on and prevent that from happening versus something that's purely unique that it does that no other virus that we've really encountered that we encounter commonly does is i'm not really sure about you know you talked about you talked about being asymptomatic how, how do you contract COVID? Like, what are specific ways that someone could get exposed and get infected? So there's a lot of research that's still being done on it. But with respiratory viruses, there's kind of two main things that we think about. There's droplets and then there's aerosols. Aerosols are typically smaller and have the potential to stay airborne for longer. And one of the controversies around COVID has been, is it just spread via droplets? And meaning that, you know, droplets... Um, because they're so large, they don't really, when you cough, you know, they basically, they more or less immediately fall to the ground. And so it's not like they hang around in the air, as opposed to aerosols, which if they do can become airborne, can hang around in the air for minutes to hours after someone, you know, coughs or does anything that aerosolizes. And it's not really fully understood yet the extent to which COVID is airborne. But right now, what people are thinking is it's a couple ways. It's droplets that can both be on surfaces or if you obviously cough directly into someone. But then there might be some extent to which it's airborne, meaning they might be able to hang around in the air for a little bit. Now, the extent to which you can do that, again, it's not really well known. And that's why it's so there's so much controversy over a lot of things. Sean or Sumit, anything you want to add there? Uh, n- not on that point, but I do want to add just one thing to the last question you asked about long-term effects. So one of the other things that COVID can present with is a hypercoagulable state, which is a propensity to develop clots. That's not really something that we generally see with other respiratory illnesses. And that's what makes it, you know, another wrench in how to treat it. So that can lead to like decreased perfusion to different organs and can lead to like organ failure. When you say when you say decreased perfusion to other organs, what does that mean? What's perfusion mean? Basically, you're not getting the blood flow. Like so each organ of the body requires, you know, you need blood flow to get there that carries nutrients, it carries oxygen. So when you don't have consistently good blood flow to those areas, they can become damaged they can, you know, start functioning suboptimally. So that's one of the things that that researchers are kind of seeing with COVID now as well is that it's creating this this state of low perfusion 
to different organs. Um, so then, you know, a disease that we think of as maybe just being more respiratory is now moving its effects to other parts of the body. And, and that makes it even more difficult to treat because now you're treating more than just the lungs. What are some potential after effects or downstream things that you guys are seeing? It's a, a really good point. I actually had one case um, where we had a patient who they had COVID and they actually basically had developed a clot in their subclavian artery, which is that, ar that artery is more or less around the clavicle area and blood has to go through there to get to their arm. And they actually ended up requiring an amputate. They're basically their arm died without blood supply and that we ended up having to do an amputation. I've seen some few just like anecdotal things from patients where they, again, were never symptomatic, but they tested positive. And, you know, the younger, healthier patients who, like, I had one patient who was, like, maybe training for a half marathon or a marathon or something. They said that, like, for the two months after that, like, never had the same aerobic capacity as before. And it's like their VO2 max just tested as a lot lower. And I, I've seen a couple of papers about how COVID could affect, <coughs> potentially be affecting, like, your the efficiency of your mitochondria. And there's some, like, uncoupling going on there that's potentially contributing to that. But I think there also could be a chance that there, you could still have like a low grade inflammation in your lungs that's causing like structural changes that could be leading to this, but you may never have actually felt, you know, full blown symptoms or even minor symptoms. What are some of the interventions that we need to put in place to ensure going back to capacity, you know, auditoriums or when it comes to sporting events that would be effective today? Well, I, I think it's, you know, it's a lot of the same stuff that that we've been talking about for, you know, you know, the last six months, which is wearing masks and being social, you know, social distancing. So, you know, the WHO recommendation, WHO recommendation is to distance at, at, at one meter, which is three feet. The CDC says two meters, which is six feet. So social distancing, masks, hand washing. Um, you know, avoiding large gatherings. The thing is, is like without really understanding like the pathophysiology of this disease without having proper treatment, the only thing we can do is like what's called primary prevention, which is like preventing ourselves from getting the disease at all. So, you know, that's the only way we can really like contain it because we don't have any medications. We don't have, you know, FDA approved medications and an FDA approved vaccine to treat it after we get infected. So we have to just prevent ourselves from getting infected. And unfortunately, that's like all the things that no one wants to do. Wear a mask, stay home, socially distance, no large gatherings. Just to piggyback on a, a couple things there, I think it's important for people to realize that even when we have a vaccine, I think people think about the vaccine as being, okay, once we have the vaccine, all the problems are going to be solved. But there's going to be a, just a whole new series of, of problems. I mean, I think that there was a survey, um, and of course, every survey you take with a grain of salt, but there was a survey asking Americans, would you take a vaccine if it was available? And only like 30 to 50% of people said they would even take the vaccine. And so even once we have a vaccine, just, you know, there's probably going to be a lot of people that, you know, don't want to take it. And, and the other thing to recognize, I think, is that people, you know, the term herd immunity gets thrown around a lot and people think, oh, okay, well, aren't we going to get close to herd immunity? We're not only are we very far, but just to put things into perspective, I think roughly there's been about 8 million positive COVID tests in the U.S., which is a small fraction of you know, the population, less, less than a percent. And to get what you know, epidemiologists think about as herd immunity, you need to have 90 to 95% of people need to be immune. So we're like at one you know, at most maybe you know, 0.5 to 1% versus we need to get to 90%. So we're 
extremely far from herd immunity. And so I think that it's just important to realize that this is not something that's just going to you know, be solved overnight um, with, with the vaccine. And if the vaccine even works in the first place, we get we all most people get flu vaccines almost every year. And there are multiple years where the flu vaccine, they just come out at the end of it and be like, hey, it just didn't didn't take this year, you know, or like it was made for the wrong strains or um, for one reason or another, you know, or if you know, your body might not develop all the the right immune response to a vaccine to make it effective in the first place. Um, so when this first, you know, version 1.0 of the vaccine comes out, there's no guarantee that even if everyone got the vaccine, that it would just shut down spread of the virus for good. Would you dance right now in the current environment? Would you compete? Would you dance for fun? Like, where would you draw the line when it comes to your bunger involvement? I still think it's uh, probably a little too soon. And, and that's not just for my own sake. I mean, I think that's just the fact that we're... I think as a responsible citizen, I think that's one of the big reasons I would say that it makes sense to hold off on um, competing at this time. I mean, I think it's probably reasonable if you want to have practices, you know, with your teammates. I think that's actually probably starting to be more reasonable now, um, especially if, you ha- if you're able to do it outdoors. Um, but uh, I think that just from a responsible citizen standpoint, it's probably still, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to be part, uh, wouldn't want to, you know, attend a competition for that reason. I mean, I think it also depends on, Mike. Say like where you're going for the competition. Are you like driving to this place, or is your entire team having to go into an airport and stuff to get to this? You know, wherever you're competing, people are like in a lot of places are starting to go out again, or there might be in a workplace where they're around tons of people as it is. So I don't really see how competition itself, performing on stage in an auditorium, would necessarily put you at more risk than going out. You know going out to eat or going to a bar right now, especially in the States where things have gotten a little more lax. But I think the whole process of getting there and coming back is what makes it a little tougher. Yeah, I think, you know, I agree with with both these guys. I think they bring up really good points. And and I think like when when you're dancing, expending a lot of energy, sweating, you're yelling, like whether it be a practice or at a competition, people in the crowd yelling, this is the best way to spread respiratory droplets, having your mouth open for like an eight minute set. You know, I'm, I, I don't think I would attend a competition right now as an audience member or as a dancer. Um, and I think it would be pretty difficult to get people to adhere to adhere to all the safety regulations that a responsible competition would want to put in place, including having everyone get tested beforehand. I think it would be it would be tough to coordinate. Next up, we have champs and legends. All right. Um, hi, my name is Mo Geyer. I'm the current one of the current directors of Legends for 2020-2021 season. Um, I was a former director of NDC for two years, actually Cleveland. Um, also, also dance on Spartan Bhangra in the Bhangra circuit for four years in my time at Case. Um, through my time at Legends now, we have also partnered with eFusion, and that's one of the main initiatives that we're doing during this virtual season. Hey everyone, my name is Kuntal Shah. I am a director of Championships of Bhangra. Um, have been around on the circuit for a long time. Um, started in 2008 
Uh, Ram and I have been on the circuit for a long time together. Um, so yeah, here to talk about whatever Ram wants to ask me. <laughs> I'm really glad that this is, uh, uh, it started off on this foot. I mean, we've, I think I've talked to both of you guys, right? I talked to actually both of you guys within days of each other. So it just made sense to have this be a one call back in July. Um, and I guess I want to start off by saying, you know, back in July, we talked about um, what the forecasted dance seasons were going to look like, both in Fusion and Bhangra. How have things changed since July up until now? And kind of what's, what's happened from your perspectives, both of you guys being directors of kind of the championship competitions within Bungan Fusion, respectively. And Amog, we'll start off with you. Sure. Yeah. So I think back in July, a lot more comps and teams were optimistic that we'd be back to more normalcy in the spring and able to have in-person competitions. But I think from them till now, we've seen majority of the comps cancel or shift completely to um, virtual format. Um, that just reflecting the current the current scene of COVID and it, that it doesn't seem to be letting up and it's about the same that it was back then. Um, we're still waiting on the vaccine development and seeing what's happening with that. But as of now, it does not look feasible to have any infeasible competitions in the spring. Konto, what about you? What have been some big developments sure. on the Bunger side? Uh, it's more of lack of development, um, <laughs> kind of same situation. You know, we were, I think we were all, or at least many of us were optimistic in July when we last spoke that maybe things would get better or, you know, we, we were just optimistic. Um, I think at that point I had told you, Ron, that I was thinking probably six months past a vaccine would be the first time we would see a, a comp try to host a live show again. Um, and here we are, what is this end of October with, you know, no vaccine yet. So, uh, that pushes us if we were to, you know, follow my six month projection with, you know, trusting my random projection, um, that still puts us already at next summer with no comps happening. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, Ipanga has done their first show online, uh, their round one at this point and, think it went really well they had on i think like 400 people on the on the show and i heard the mcs um, were great mcs were great I, I actually got to judge round one so that was fun as well it was it was an interesting experience uh but i think it went well so uh, you know that's kind of laid the groundwork for what's coming in the next at least uh for the rest of this season in my opinion um the other things you know there's been fluctuations with covid cases and changes in restrictions uh you know state to state or uh, even country to country. Um, in the summer, I think things were looking better in Canada. So the academy started to reopen. Um, what I'm hearing now is that most of them have been shut back down. Um, so that's that's kind of the case around most of the circuit right now. So between academies not really being active in person and um, teams unable to travel country to country or state to state, you know, our circuit's kind of just on hold uh, and, and waiting to see what happens. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll just have to hope that these uh, online virtual comps hold us over and see what happens after that. So, you know, Amog, 
when we last chatted, there was a lot of conversation amongst, it seemed like the fusion competitions about what the path forward was going to be. And I I know Legends wasn't kind of dictating, but more kind of fostering the collaboration and communication. Mm -hmm. How would you say that has continued from July up until now. And, yeah, so and what's we actually the came out with the like statement um, I think a few com- weeks after uh, we talked or mid-August, late, early September, I don't remember now, but basically saying that Legends will not be partnering with any in- in-person competition this whole season, basically not having partner competitions, which is the basically the whole regular season that Legends hosts and how teams qualify to Legends. So that was canceled and we let all our competitions know um, from then, competitions have still been active in the group meet. We had another call just talking about other initiative ideas, way to um, program virtually in this time, what other initiatives competitions can work on. And I know there are a lot of state-specific um, group meets being made. I know like in Ohio, although Ohio competitions have been in touch with each other, figuring out what initiatives they can work on and even collaborate on together. I know NDC and Midwest Amaka have been working a little bit together. The directors have been in touch, things like that. Um, and our group is just open for any questions. If they need any support or reach, we're happy to help them out. Some competitions have gone virtual. There's a virtual group meet, virtual competition group meet that's been made. So they had a call as well, organizing how virtual competitions would ha- play out what their ideas or different formats for that. So that's ongoing. Um, basically, it's just a community support, everyone just helping each other out what they can do. Yeah. Conto, um, you know, kind of similar vein, you know, what are the thoughts right now within the Bunger circuit with um, some of the conversations you've been having and also, you know, potential for hosting like a championship competition at the end of the year? Hang on, I'm letting my dog stop barking before I answer. All right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, you know, I kept in touch with a few comps um, over the summer, at least fall comps, to see what was going to happen and what their plans were. Um, you know, the two big comps that happen in the fall uh, normally on the East Coast are uh, Berg and Boston. Um, Boston had announced that they were going virtual. Um, I think they were having a lot of great interest in um however they recently pushed their date to the end of april um because i think teams were unable to get together to practice and whatnot um berg had announced also at the beginning of their fall semester that they were going to do a virtual show most likely as well um and now that has shifted from a competition to a showcase so there's they're not even having any judging or anything um, so while those, you know, those are two major comps two of the lo- longest lasting comps on our circuit, um, who are trying to maneuver the situation. Um, but they, you know, at this point in order to continue what they do and not skip a year they're you know, Boston's just pushing it to later in the, in the season and Berg is doing this showcase thing. So, um, I'm not sure about many other comps. I know AKD, uh, I'm pretty sure has canceled, um, and I don't know if there's any West coast comps, uh, that we're planning to do a fall show, but, um, as far as I know, there's no competitions, at least in the next four months that are being planned, uh, besides the online ones. Got it. Uh, Moog, when you, you talked about that announcement that was put out, what all went into that conversation and who all did you contact before coming to that conclusion? 
it was a lot of talking with the comps and teams like we talked about before, just continue to gather feedback from them. Um, and the more that we talked to them and just knowing the people on the circuit and the competitions, it seemed more and more unlikely that the comps themselves would be able to host in person and teams gather in groups to meet together. And then talking amongst ourselves, me, my co-director, and the steering that support that we have, it didn't seem responsible or, or safe for us to condone comps to be hosting virtually or partnering with them even through like January through March or even a delayed season because we didn't know what's happening with COVID vaccine development. We have a couple of people who are um, in tune with the pharmaceutical industry and the vaccine timeline, the delivery, and just hearing the timeline for the development and then the recovery period from the pandemic, even after vaccine distribution, it doesn't seem until mid 2021 until we can resume anything back in person normally as we've had before. And even then it's still a long recovery back from there. So just looking at all those facts and discussions internally, we thought it'd be best to release that decision sooner rather than later. So then all these comps and teams could start planning for what they would like to do instead. Because as soon as we saw we made that decision, we saw a lot of competitions cancel immediately. So we were under we were also under the belief that comps were even though we had told them not to look towards us for guidance, they were waiting on us to make a decision before making their own decisions, if that makes sense. And so, you know, just to get a better sense from both of you, I know you guys um, both have a pretty good pulse on the respective circuits. How many competitions are not, like what, what percent change are we going from? So let's say like last year there were 40 competitions, right? Um, and this year there are potentially like 20 competitions or 10 competitions of virtual format. What's like that attrition rate that we're looking at in terms of both competitive circuits? We have 15 competitions who currently said that they will be going virtual. Um, 18 competitions who have announced that they will be on a hiatus and another 19 competitions that we have not, um, that have not posted anything or updated the competition tracker that we have sent out to everyone. So it's about a third in each category. Koto, what about you? Uh, I honestly don't have a real answer for that. Um, the only comps that are really pressured to make those decisions and publicize them are probably the ones that are university affiliated um, because of their funding and because of just the fact that they have limited time to decide if they're doing a comp or not. Whereas you see a lot of independent comps um, that could take a year off whenever they wanted to. And many comps have done that. Many independent comps have done that. Um, so I think those comps are probably in the same boat as champs and just waiting it out versus um, like a Berg um, has already decided what they're doing. Uh, I'm sure Mela has already decided or is close to a decision on what they're doing. Uh, Blowout is probably close to their decision as well. So these... Um, the, the collegiate comps are the ones I think that will publicize it. Speaking of collegiate comps, here are some collegiate competitions. Cool. Uh, I guess I'll start. Uh, so yeah, my name is Soros Nair. I am a fifth year graduating this semester from Carnegie Mellon, majoring in statistics and machine learning. I've been a part of Bunger and the Berg for four years now. I started off as a liaison my sophomore year and then was a liaison chair, then registration chair and now co-director. Um, so yeah, so just really excited to see how Berg has changed over the years. Yeah, and my name is Neha Shrider. I am currently a senior studying computer science, graduating next semester from Carnegie Mellon. 
Um, I've been involved with Bunger and the Bird for four years as well. Um, my freshman and sophomore year, I was a liaison. Um, last year, I was our tech ops chair, and this year, I'm co-director. So my name is Nisha. Um, I'm one of the directors this, this year. This will be my third year on board, um, and I'm going to be a senior this year. My name's Anushka. I am also a senior, and this is also my third year on board, and I'm a director as well. So, so hey, you know, we're we're here talking about BIB. Um, you know, there's been a lot of change because of COVID specifically and COVID impacts. Uh, talk us through kind of what led you to switching BIB into this virtual showcase. Yeah, sure. I'll try and keep it like not as long-winded as it could be in this answer, but essentially, you know, we ended last year um, abruptly. Everyone ended last year very abruptly. And as a board, you know, we kind of, um, we had like had elected like, uh, well, me and Neha and Ishi as our co-directors. And we had this conversation that we always wanted to have the conversation, uh, the competition. We had not known the extent of Rona at that time. Um, back in March when it was, you know, full, it had just like started the spread. And um, so again, essentially we were just kind of hoping that um, at some point, you know, by the end of the summer, starting in the next year, things would die down and we would be able to have the competition as normal um, with maybe some enhanced safety protocols, but that's all we really needed. Um, and then, you know, it just persisted. So like we've been going through the entire summer and just realized that it's, it's much more severe than what was initially thought of. And by August or so, we're having legitimate conversations at that point about, you know, the state of the competition. Like, what is our shot of making November happen? Um, and we just realized that very realistically, the best shot that we have based on protocols from CMU, protocols from Pittsburgh, um, the best shot that we have is moving this to a, a spot in the spring. So we worked with our other neighboring competitions here in Pittsburgh and chose our date of February 13th. And um, from there, you know, the, the decision was still not done yet to become a virtual competition yet. We had still been in person at that time. And from there we went on to just think about like Berg as the competition goes with safety and, you know, comfort within our own board and comfort with people outside as well. And we just realized that, you know, with safety protocols and everything unnecessary, the, like the spread was too big. We couldn't really make our own bubble, even though we came up with a trillion rules that we could have implemented to try and, uh, keep it as contained as possible. The spread was just like the, the reach was just too broad for us to say that it was safe. So we decided to go virtual from there. And in terms of making it a showcase over a competition, um, we basically had this conversation about like what makes Berg special. And from there, we felt that along with obviously the competitive team aspect from it, we thought Berg's atmosphere and environment was what made Berg so special. Whether it was, it was Pittsburgh, the venue, the stage, we've had teams come to our competition and talk to their own teams about um, like through their pep talks and stuff and say that we made it, we were able to perform on the Berg stage and stuff. And that kind of element is lost in a virtual setting inherently because you're just not there anymore. And we felt that, you know, while teams can really enjoy Berg and from a competition as aspect in terms of e-bunger is going on right now and you guys are doing a great job. Um, we felt that Berg loses what makes Berg Berg by going in a virtual competition route for us. So decide, we decided instead of instead of going that competition route, we'll make it an open platform. We'll take it as a showcase. We'll say, um, we'll allow teams, uh, we'll give access to teams from, you know, across the world, nationally, internationally, to showcase what they've been up to during this time. Teams are still dancing. And we decided, uh, we think that's the best platform for teams to really just showcase and not have that uh, pressure of a competition atmosphere. And rather, Bird can just celebrate Bunger with all of them. And that was something that was done 
we had made this decision around about half a month, more than half a month ago. Um, and the entire like time until our recent like declaration on Instagram and stuff was um, basically us finalizing the rules and understanding registration, how it would go down and the logistics and all those things. You know, one of the things I wanted to talk about and, and hone in on is you specifically mentioned earlier, you know, you're following kind of the Carnegie Mellon policies, right? And some of the policies that were probably set up by the state and local governments. Could you could you walk us through who gets involved in the decision making? Who do you end up talking to? And then what kind of conversations need to continuously be had? Yeah, definitely. So one of our main points of contact was our student life office. And we have a really amazing advisor there who kind of helps us with everything when it comes to finances, logistics, anything. And she helps us book our rooms around campus and communicate with our venue. Um, When we were talking to her over the summer, even when we were planning on having our fall competition, even um, then she was very strongly advising against it, just because CMU had not even put out their protocols until I'd, I'd say like early August. So we really didn't know what was going on. We didn't even know what was going on with the semester. So we really had to kind of plan out every single possible way that we could run this competition, what or what it became. Um, so we had like basically like four different venues. We were either going to go like an in-person competition, an in-person competition with no audience, um, some kind of event that we would hold, whether that be in person or um, online or just ha- not have anything at all. And weighing all of those decisions with our own board after they were selected, um, the past co-directors of BIB um, from 13 and even consulting um, other competitions in Pittsburgh, as well as other partner competitions like in the area, like Mela and NDC, we like were in constant communication with as many people as we could to see what our options were, what other people were planning on doing so we could kind of make the most informed decision for us. And given everything that CMU had come out with, it seemed like, okay, they were following mostly Pittsburgh guidelines, which at the time were no more than 25 people in a single room. And that included soldiers and sailors where you could not have 25 people, which is the size of our board. Um, So we really couldn't even have that event in that space. And that obviously is very disappointing, but we didn't want to lose what Berg was when we were going through all that consultation with our um, our advisors from CMU and just everyone else that we had on hand. How did you guys feel knowing there was that level of uncertainty and did that ultimately push you towards kind of this path that you, you chose with the virtual showcase? Yeah, we really were advocating for an in-person competition as much as we could, whether that be like an in-person competition with no audience, because we had no idea what was going on, neither did they. So as much as she was like, I don't see it happening, we were really like waiting to the last minute until CMU told us anything that would say like a hard no. Um, Everything that we had been doing was pushing towards an in-person competition. So logistics wise, it was just a lot of constant communication with everyone that we've um, had to at CMU, whether that be our tech people who are amazing and they didn't even know what was going on in the fall. Um, And the fact that we were moving to the spring would have also um, like possibly lost us our tech people who like make the show essentially. Um, So it's just looking at all the possible logistics, who's comfortable, if CMU is even allowing us, all that stuff kind of really we pushed it to the last minute. That's all I could really say because we wanted to have our in-person event so badly. Talk me also through a little bit of your board restructuring. I would, I'd love to understand 
changes you've had to make? And then also, did you kind of create any new positions now that you're in this digital, you know, like streaming almost service of a competition? Basically, every team related uh, position became obsolete as a result of going virtual. So things like our operations chair did that did, that did uh, day of show operations, our liaison chairs, our mixer chairs, and our after party chairs all became basically like not relevant anymore because they don't exist. So the way we restructured our board was essentially we didn't really kick anyone off. Obviously, we basically just told them we uh, had a form sent out and we said this is your preferences. Like these are the four or five different areas where we can take on another person. We're looking for two, maybe one, because things have increased in those areas. So tech, we asked like, you know, a couple of people to come on to tech house because they're going to be involved with all the stitching and making sure everything's perfect and taking in submissions, things like that. Um, and various other places had different amounts of commitment changes. So from there, people gave their preferences. We assigned a sort accordingly. And then there were people who really didn't want anything other than what they had. So instead, we made them our liaisons, per se, and we said, basically, once these teams um, basically register up for this uh, showcase, we can actually assign them as we would normal liaisons and kind of just, you know, engage with them as a board to these teams. So we'd have our, right now we have four board members as liaisons. So those homies we'd put in as liaisons for these different teams. And from there, we'd be able to like have them engage with these uh, teams and get to know them better and understand how they're doing dur- during COVID, what their restrictions are, you know, just that we make our bonds like strong. Throughout you know, I danced this community. at Mela back in the day and, you know, Mela was always positioning itself as like a best of both worlds, right? It's, it's like a very good Bhangra experience and it's a very good fusion experience. What's kind of the brand for Mela this year going virtual? Yeah, I think our entertainment value has always been something that like we heavily emphasize not only to teams but also to our audience I feel like that's the memorable aspect of Mela that everyone that comes to the show can like think back on is the fact that like our dancers always feel like they're fully supported when they're on stage by a very enthusiastic audience as far as like anything taking a hit I don't necessarily think anything has I think that's something that we'll probably find out come Mela weekend when it's virtual and we'll see like what the audience um, interactions and reactions are. But I think overall, we want to keep it the way that it's always been as fun as it's always been and offer like our virtual stage the way that we offer our in-person stage in Marshawn um, with the same level of like enthusiasm that our board has always had when hosting these teams in Columbus. Um, we just want them to have a good time and be able to like showcase their talent and feel as though like we're all very happy to see their performance. But I guess that's all, once again something that we're going to probably find out um, once we have a virtual competition. So one question that we asked everyone a sense of when things will get back to where we were pre-COVID. When do you think that's going to happen? And what do you think, based on your experience, is going to need to happen for us to get back to that environment? And if if it's going to change, um, what do you feel is, is going to be permanently changing? So personally, I don't really think anything is going to go back to some sense of normal until at least like next year's dance season in the spring. Um, especially like for us, we bring in about 400 dancers. I think last year we hit our record of like 435 or something so that's a lot of people 
to cram into one hotel, one venue, one mixer space, all of that. So I feel like going forward, um, one thing we've never really enforced in the past is having like roster caps um, because we really just wanted to invite anybody and everybody who wanted to come with the team to come and like experience Mela. So I feel like that may be one thing going forward that they have to keep in mind. And I know this year also, um, we toyed around with the idea of like limited audience. How could we maybe host a show with no audience? How would we filter teams in and out with masks, keep it like all clean? Um, but I think the biggest issue that we came down to, the biggest question that came into our minds was just because we're considering each team as its own entity, teams are made up of multiple people. And if all those like 20 to 30 people aren't comfortable with being with each other um, without their masks being that close, being in those like smaller spaces, then like it's not fair for us to ask that and treat them as one entity either. Um, so I feel like that's something that may have to come more so from the team side. Um, and I know we done we'd done a lot of monitoring on social media of how teams were hosting tryouts, how they were hosting practices, talking to them, seeing what they were doing, where their headspace was at. And so I think the change or like shift back to normal, I guess, would have to come at least for me from the team side um, and see that like they were comfortable with it. They wanted to do it. And we're just platforms for them to express themselves on at the end of the day. So I feel like that's at least how I think it should it would go in the future. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think it's easy for us to just like adjust our plans and host teams in any way, but it's up to them. They're the ones visiting Columbus. They're the ones that would come here, live here and spend the weekend here. So we don't want to like rush the process and force anyone to feel uncomfortable coming here just for the sake of competing and for the sake of like having an in-person competition. I personally don't really see anything improving with this pandemic situation until next spring at the earliest. And even that I feel like is pretty optimistic um, considering where we're at right now. So I think this is definitely a process that might take longer than one competition season. But I'm hoping that like if we as a like circuit and as multiple circuits can perfect this process now, then it might be something easy to replicate next year, maybe even next fall, if like teams and competitions need to. Right. And has the collaboration between competitions and kind of the sharing been in a good space? That's something that feels to me is very much needed in terms of navigating these uncharted waters, especially if we're if we're now talking that potentially spring of next year, it's still going to be an impact too, right? I definitely think that the circumstances of like this past year has made this whole circuit and like all of these competitions so much closer. And like personally, I directed Mela for Mela 13 as well. And like the change in between being willing to ask competitions questions and like have meetings and discuss in depth what our plans are and being willing to like collaborate and help each other out. It's so much greater given the circumstances now. And um, the support has been great. We've had competitions wanting to meet and talk and like pitch ideas back and forth and see like what we want to do and to feel the support of other like teams, competitions and people just like that want to see us succeed. It makes us feel much better going into this process. And finally, here's Sunny to talk about what it's like to deal with COVID in the real world. Of course. So uh, everybody that's listening, hello. My name is Sunny. I go by Sunny Singh. And uh, my artist name is Sunlight Sounds, DJ Sunlight. And I represent a uh, SoCal 
Indian-based event entertainment company called uh, IDJ Productions. And we absolutely love what we do. And in the midst of all that, um, I'm just uh, a studio bedroom DJ that just puts together <laughs> a bunch of mashups and Bhangra team mixes. And uh, somehow, here I am, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so like, you know, we are going through this process of, um, you know, obviously the world's been impacted by COVID and it's been um, impacting a lot of different industry industries. It's been, been impacting competitions. Um, are you still currently DJing and working today? And if so, how many events do you typically do? Are we talking like during COVID right now or what we were supposed to be doing without COVID being here? Well, let's talk about what you're doing in COVID right now. And um, uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, at this very moment, we're doing uh, like 95% ha uh, house backyard weddings, outdoor weddings. Um, okay. I have the first time we were back in a ballroom was on October 4th, Saturday. And it was the craziest feeling ever. Um, it had been like six months, like pretty much on the dot six months since we had been in a banquet hall, half the guest count. But otherwise, it's just been like a lot of drive-bys. Um, the fun thing was uh, we started a cool little trend. We didn't start it. We saw it. Uh, I, I got it inspired from the news. <laughs> and uh, I saw some people on Instagram just driving by a line of cars, you know. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, so we hit the homies up and we were like, you know what? Each of these people's birthdays, we were just like, let's do a drive-by. Um, and, you know, a lot of the friends uh, and teammates were in. We, you know, threw all the stuff on a truck, drove it by, you know, music blaring. We barked old players. Uh, that was fun. Uh, started a little buzz with the Indians. Uh, and that was pretty cool. And then otherwise, um, if I'm not at events, I've just been more so in like studio mode, like DJing. Right. Uh, mix making mode what's kind of been like the capacity like how many gigs do you normally get this time of year and how many are you doing right now you mentioned that there's been some sort of effect from covid right yeah oh a huge effect actually to be honest um we were supposed to be in the midst of wedding season right now guns hot S still actually right. no uh you lose track of time now we're in october right you know what we would have still been in wedding season though which is crazy um but now we're getting and you know what in it Indian weddings don't stop, man. No, it just keeps they're going. all year round, exactly. <laughs> so what happens is uh, we're doing roughly four events a month, and those go from either like maybe one month we'll do like three wedding barats, and then one mm -hmm. uh, backyard graduation or backyard birthday. Um, and mainly they've been no more than 50 guests. We've done a wedding where it was like maybe 120 at five-ish. Um but that too, I mean, we're, we were far away from them and it's crazy as packed as it is and as questionable as it becomes, right? Because we hear and see everything going on in the world. Um, you know, I have to make sure when I'm out there, they got to ensure us that, you know, we have 15 plus feet of feet and that, you know, we're allowed to enforce visually, however we, you know, socially distantly take requests. Like, you know, yeah. we usually have something there that says texture request to this number, you know, found ways around it. But yeah, it, it's usually just 40 guests and under. Uh, done a few weddings where it was literally like just 20 people, 10 from the guys, 10 from the girls. So from like a contract perspective, 
you know, walk me through like some of the contractual things that have changed, right? Like how have you talked to your clients and do you also like work with, um, like, uh, the state or like the venues, did the venue pass guidelines? Like how, what's happened in that environment, um, with your work? So we only work now in specific counties. Uh, so in LA, I mean, it's been pretty rare that we've done an event of anything close to, yeah, where we live in LA. It, nothing's been close to home. It's all in like the Inland Empire. And why is that? Because um, they've started lifting up the policies over okay. there. And the cool thing is that the city is definitely, what happens is it's like the banquet halls that have to deal with the city because at the end of the day, they're the real estate behind the whole event. You know, the event happens there. So they have to get all their regulations in check because they're the place where all the vendors are coming right. together. So within that, um, they haven't breathed down like specifically into industries within events, right? So it's just mainly like, hey, banquet halls are shut down. That means events are done, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then what happens is, uh, they do these like uplifts where or what, what like reopenings, and then the banquet halls, you know, start saying, okay, yeah, you know what, we'll take, you know, x amount of guests we can have in the you know, as occupancy, and this many goes to our staff, this many can go to the right. guests. So anything at like a venue style ordeal, it has definitely been safe. It has been um, in the open, but then there have been clients that have done events at their house. And uh, sometimes those ones get kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> but having said that, I'll be honest, we've passed up a lot of gigs as well. Um, so that's a contractual and a business side to it that has changed. Um, what are some of the rules that you've seen that they've added to combat you know, COVID and reduce the risk of you know, a possible outbreak? So uh, one thing is I have seen people do assigned seating now where it's like by families or more so by households. Because, you know, right. that whole theory, everyone in that household, they're with one another. So I've seen people do it by households, um, people releasing tables to the bar. Uh, another thing is that uh, back then, you know, it was open buffet, right? Like you have the how, how do you say Garchi in uh, English? The the spatula or the spoon, right? right. The, that thing, yeah. you do it yourself. Yeah. Uh, this, I'm sorry. This time, uh, there's uh, waiters on the other side and they're doing it, you know? And the way that little tava thing is made, like it closes and opens, you know? So they're doing a great yeah. job on that. Or pre-assembled um, food. Uh, all, all vendors have masks on. I haven't really seen... Uh, any vendor that doesn't have a mask on. And if I did, it would be weird. Right. You don't want to be around that. Yeah. So <laughs> talk to me, you know, you mentioned a little bit about being nervous yeah. before the first couple times you went for your gigs. What's it like going to a gig now? Like, what was the experience before? What is it now? Just walk me through like a typical gig now during the COVID time and what you go through. We show up. And we're, uh, you know, we'll show up and we set up everything. And for some events too, like I'll let the client know, like, hey, look, you know what? I like made a mix before like coming here, like a nonstop mix for catered for your event. And I'm going to leave that running and we're just going to wait out front or like in our car or something like that. 
Uh, if we're far enough away, it's fine. But we set up early sometimes, and then we'll go out get our lunch, uh, eat it, and then we just, you know some clients they're also homies, but we'll tell them you know let us know when when you're ready to proceed, and we'll come in and we'll okay. come and kill it. Uh, otherwise, we show up, typically set up everything, and then we're just there. It, it's just in one spot. Before you have you know you want to go around check more things out whatnot, but now it is more like business up until i get to dj because when i dj sometimes i just for me djing is therapeutic and it's business and it's you know it's fun so that's where you know i let it all out but the setup process everything else definitely uh i have i try to be as 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 following of the rules as i can where i'm just there in my own place you know my cousin comes with me too right. and so you know it's also his family that I also want to have to take in consideration. He has grandparents at home, you know, so we're out here, you know, trying to get it, but we're making sure we're doing our part, you know, and I will be honest, you know, science or uh, whoever, these doctors that are saying, you know, wear these masks, even if you're around people that aren't wearing masks and you're wearing masks, we get like, we know you're still a level of protection further than you would be with if you had no mask on. So, yeah. um, like I said, all has been well so far, and I'm trusting what they say. You know, I've even talked to a doctor before because, like I said, there was a an event that happened, and, you know, somebody tested positive for that event, and we DJed that event the day before. They got their test that morning after, and you'd be surprised how many people hit me up. It was kind of like a moment of realization for me, too, during COVID. Um, during COVID season, you know, that uh, how many people had reached out and some were doctors and one who I had specifically talked to, she's a childhood friend of mine. And, you know, she definitely did an amazing job to calm me down because I was also panicking. You know, I was like, oh, my God, like, yeah. you know, it's airborne and this and that. And when you start retracing steps and all of that. So I definitely was um, a little paranoid. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to say that, you know, those two weeks that passed, Nothing happened. Yeah. And tell me about that one specific event where, you know, that person uh, tested positive. We talked briefly about that on the phone, but could you walk me through what that incident was like and what happened afterwards? Yeah. Where they tested positive? Yeah. So it all happened so quick. <laughs> That's the best way to start the story off. Um, the day of that event, actually, I got the call. And he was like, hey, bro, uh, you know, we need a DJ, uh, but it's tonight. And, you know, like I said, I just started a new job. So not too many specifics about this part, <laughs> but I, I, I found a way to make it happen, right? I made it happen. I called my cousin and, um, God, I really hope they don't hear this. I don't think they ever would, but yeah, I called my cousin. We made it happen. We ran out there. We set up everything. And I never thought like, hey, why are they call, calling me the day of? Like, I knew there was possibly another DJ that did it. I didn't think to ask. Like I said, it was all happening so fast. We get there. We set up the homie that's doing, like, the event production or, like, you know, the decor and all that. Um, he tells us, like, an hour into our setup, um, someone uh, some uh, that he was like, hey, if I were you, I'd stay away from the guy in the, uh, you know, wearing that outfit. He pointed him out with the mask on. I was like, oh, why? And he was like, word has it. Uh, he tested positive for COVID. Oh. 
So there was already a rumor circulating, right? So me and my cousin literally looked at each other and we're like, why the wh- why is he yeah. here? <laughs> so um, I was really concerned about it. Texted the client. Uh, and again, I know this guy pretty well too, like for a while. Um, texted him and I was like, hey, can we, you know, can we speak real quick? And he was like, oh, uh, he called me. He's like, is everything okay? I was like, yeah, just come to my DJ booth when you get a chance though, like at your nearest convenience. So he comes on over and so through that, I, that's why that other DJ didn't go. Okay. So he didn't, he found out and he was just like, I'm not going to do this. He had some, yeah, he had some, <clears throat> he had somehow found out and um, he told them he wasn't going right. to do it. I didn't get to ask him. I spoke to him a day after though. Again, everything happened so fast. So I, um, I, uh, I spoke to him when he approached my DJ table, the client. And I was like, look, man, you know, this is the word on the block. And I just told him, I was like, look, even though, and I, it was like a good 67, 70 mile away gig. It was, it was far, but we're used to it. We do a lot of far events, like a 60 mile away gig for us is yeah. normal. So I had told him, I was like, look, you know, you're a homie, you're a brother. Like we go back. Like, is it just cool if I pack up and go home? If that's the case, he's like, oh no, like that's not the case. Like, he's like, see, what had happened was, and then a story was explained, but an assurance was given at the end, like a guarantee that, oh, like, there should be no issue for somebody out here testing positive for COVID-19. Looked at my cousin, too, and I was like, hey, is that answer okay with you? You know, and I was like, my bad client name. (laughs) I I just want to make sure, you know, my team is okay about it, too. Uh, and like out here, people know, like I like uh, fun fact, I'm going to keep me- mentioning my cousin. My cousin comes with me to all mm-hmm. my gigs. Uh, I don't do any gigs alone just because with the price I give, um, you know, there's something I offer. I need a, uh, you know, I need a recap of each event and I post that on social media and I make sure all these things are like, you know, portfolio. Yep. So clients have something to mm-hmm. look at. So anywho, uh, he was OK with the answer. I was OK with the answer. I had my mask on. Some people attending the event had masks on. Some didn't. And what happens is, you know, the night progresses and the next morning I get a text from someone. They go, hey, groom tested positive for COVID-19. He just got his test this morning. And I was like, wow. Oh, my God. So I was pissed. And the thing is, that's the groom's brother. So they all live in the same house. I talked to the groom. Groom didn't have a mask on. I shook the groom's hand, hand sanitizer after. Like, I just, I'd be doing that. Like, if anyone's listening to this that's re- that can recall shaking my hand at a gig after COVID lockdown, yeah, I, ha- I sanitized my hands afterwards. So what? <laughs> <laughs> I love you guys. Though. But, yeah, so <laughs> I uh, I definitely, uh, I was scared. You know, and I told my brother, I was upset. Like, I was so upset. Like, with my new job, I had to just sign out. Was, you know, got me screwing around with my job so much, right? I had to, like, sign off for, like, two to three hours. I was just like, I'm looking for a COVID test. All that shit was packed. I was freaking out. I was for sure freaking out. You know, we watched the news, everything. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not COVID. I'm not ego COVID where I'm like, oh, I don't care. This. I, I'm definitely yeah. scared. I, I, I assure you, I'm, there's always a moment where I'll stop, you know, halfway at a gig or after I'm like, you know, please, God, let us be okay. While we're risking our lives working, anybody, you know, after COVID, I have no enemy, man. Like the last thing I'd want to hear is somebody, you know, has to expire from this virus that I that I know and that would hurt because it already hurts so much to hear about all these people that have lost their lives. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Bungarda podcast. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Please help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser, as that really helps others find the podcast. Also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all of them at the Bungarda Pod. If you want to know what else is going on in the podcast world, sign up for our newsletter and join our Discord server to get exclusive content you won't get anywhere else. 